Hello, hello, and welcome to the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. My name is Curtis Goodman, and I'm very happy to be here for a very special session of SACPA. Before we get started, I'd like to remind everybody, if you do have a cell phone, please take it out, put it on mute for the benefit of everybody else in the room. If you do need to take a call, just outside would be great. On your tables, you will see that there is a basket or a bowl for some money for lunch. Please be sure to pay $14 if you are going to be enjoying lunch today. Uh, if you're just going to be enjoying coffee, just $2 is great. And if we could have a leader from each and every table, go ahead and count and make sure that we do have the right amount in there. Our wonderful SACPA volunteers will be by to pick that up uh, after the talk. So today, this format is going to be a little bit different than previous sessions. Uh, we are going to have a, a nice presentation uh, from our guest speakers, immediately followed by question and answer. Um, so uh, think of your questions a little quicker than usual, uh, and uh, this is all for the benefit of our, our wonderful police service dog, Arco. Uh, without further ado, uh, I will remind you that the session is going to be recorded and you can watch it again and again and again on Shaw Television uh, or you can go on to the website and uh, have the audio copy there. Today we are lucky to be joined by James Damone who uh, is a constable with the Lethbridge Police Service. He played 55 games with the Canucks AHL affiliate the Manitoba Moose in 2005-2006 and retired from professional hockey in 2007. He's now in his 11th year as a member of the Lethbridge Police Service and is currently a constable with the Lethbridge Police Service canine unit. Police service dog Arco is a Belgian Malinois who has served the Lethbridge Police alongside Constable Damone for seven years. And as I said, without further ado, Constable Damone. Thank you. Thank you. Is this thing working? Uh, well, thank you for having me here this afternoon. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I have no idea how this is going to go over. These dogs are mostly meant to play outside. Um, and so I apologize for rearranging your lunch. Um, I think it's just in the best interest here because he may not last more than five minutes, as you can see. Our, ah, good boy. All right, so as mentioned, my name is Jim Damone. Uh, I'm a constable with the city police here and been so for 11 years. Uh, in 2011, uh, I ran through the trial process and was selected uh, for the canine unit. I apologize for the obedience here. This is terrible, but it's kind of funny at the same time. Um, I, was selected for, I was selected for the canine unit, uh, and in so I was lucky enough to be uh, patched, paired together uh, with Arco here, who's a Belgian Malinois. Uh, who's going to be 10 years old here in January, which kind of surprises some people because he looks so young and fit and he looks like a puppy a little bit. Okay, let's. Uh, sorry about that. Um, so in 2011, yeah, I was paired up with Arco. Um, it's an instant bonding process where you're given an animal who's come over from Europe. Uh, he was brought over from Holland in the beginning of 2011 uh, and held at one of our, there's a police dog broker that we use uh, down just outside of Boston. Uh, and so I was paired up with him and his sole purpose, uh, and my sole purpose is to take care of him. And so you feed him every day, you walk him every day, and you start developing a bond uh, before you go into four months up uh, where we teach them all the police things, you know, like tracking and things like that. Uh, which he already has a foundation for, uh, but we just fine-tune it so that he can meet the criteria uh, that passes the provincial standard. So uh, since July 2011, when he was uh, brought over to me in the summertime there, uh, we've been together 
this entire time. So a lot of people don't get to see the canine unit. They see our vehicles driving around. Uh, you guys are usually sleeping while we're working uh, and we're happy to do so. Um, so what does the canine unit do uh, for the people of Lethbridge? Um, quite a few things actually. We <coughs> have a number of different profiles uh, that we need to fulfill. The major one that we do is tracking and tracking is where somebody maybe commits an offense, they do a break and enter or they steal something um, and they flee uh, and we need to find that person. Uh, and human beings uh, are not trained well enough to smell the sidewalk and try to figure out which way a person has gone. Uh, but these dogs have been used for a long, 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 long time uh, to do just such. Uh, so what they do is they're trained uh, to follow human decomposition, human odor that falls off of everybody's uh, skin follicles that flake off of them every minute of the day. So I bet you you didn't know that in every minute your body sheds about 25,000 skin cells. And each one of those skin cells has bacteria on it or microorganisms that are eating that skin cell, decomposing it. That creates heat and odor and that creates an odor that the dog is able to decipher from other odors around. So he follows that scent uh, from the weakest to the strongest point and oftentimes there is a person hiding in a bush at the end of that track and oftentimes there's nothing. He got in a car, he got on a bicycle, he got into a building, things like that uh, and we're unable to find that person but sometimes we find evidence and things like that along the way. Uh, so tracking, that's one of our biggest uh, profiles, our biggest jobs that we do uh, and we've been doing it for quite some time. <coughs> the other things that we do are evidence searches, okay, or area searches, or searching for people, okay? So a lot oftentimes we'll get um, insecure buildings or whatnot, and we'll go and we'll clear it with the dog because he can use his sense of smell to find people who are hiding in the building. Uh, and the best thing about that is it provides a level of officer safety so that we're not going into the building and being ambushed uh, in a dark corner or things like that. Right? You being good now? There you go, okay, ah, good, good boy. It's like having a kid. <laughs> He's better behaved than my kids actually. Um, so tracking, evidence searching, uh, people searching, uh, open air searching, things like that are all jobs that the canine unit does. One of the biggest ones uh, is just the presence of a police dog. A lot of people are afraid of dogs, uh, psychologically. People don't want to be bitten by dogs. Um, so when we attend calls where there's a risk of fight or officer safety, um, more often than not, all it takes is a dog barking from the truck uh, or the dog just sitting right here staring at a bad guy and he gives up pretty easily, which is good, right? Because then we have an easy conclusion to a file. We don't have to go on the fight with anybody. Nobody gets hurt, uh, us or the bad guy, um, and we're able to carry on with our day. So. What else do we do? Hey, He's done this so many times, he kind of knows what's going on, so he knows the treats are coming out of the pocket. <laughs> yeah, you're just suckering me in. Um, so, training. <coughs> um, four months of in-house training. Uh, these dogs come, Arco, he came from Holland, uh, but they come from all over Europe, the Czech Republic, Holland, Germany, all over the place, and there's a major dog sport in Europe called Schutzen, that some of you may be aware of. And Schutzen, 
is basically like a civilian police dog trials um, that all these breeders teach these puppies and young dogs to go through and brokers go over there and they buy these dogs and they bring them back over to North America to fulfill contracts with police agencies, US military, border services, things like that. Um, so he did have a foundation in tracking, he did have a foundation in searching and, and uh, finding human odor and things like that. Uh, and like I said, we just um, fine tune it a little bit when he comes over here so that he can fit the certification. Uh, the best way to train, and I don't know, there's probably people who have trained dogs in here before, um, is that we use their two biggest drives, which are food and either a ball or a tug. And those dogs want that ball and they want that tug so badly because they love to play tug with you, they love to chase it, and they like to treat it like prey. So we treat that just like cash. And when they do a job for us, we reward them with that cash. And just like that, they're so sensitive yeah, and so smart. Yeah, come on, here. They're so sensitive and so smart that they realize very quickly how to get the cash out of your pocket. And then they want to do nothing but good for you all the time. They want to do that job as quickly as possible to shortcut their way to your pocket to get that tug out of their pocket. And I brought his tug here. So this is like an old, ratty, ripped up, stinky, disgusting thing that he loves. <laughs> and I control him with this. Or with treats the odd time, because he likes the treats that he found in our house when I let him in our house last year. Um, so we use this all the time to get what we want. Uh, it starts with things that are as little as just uh, healing, uh, teaching him to sit, teaching him to down, teaching him to recall, things like that. Those are the very preliminary steps of your training, because that helps build the bond, and it helps to tell the dog who the boss is, and he's happy to have a boss and do work for a good boss. Um, once we start getting all those steps, then we start to add and get creative uh, and see how much further we can push them and see how much more stuff we can get them to do um, just by using a tug and just adding onto that basic training obedience and recalls and things like that. So it's pretty neat. We've gotten to a point um, over the years now where I can use, instead of words, I just use little noises, little whistles, little clicks to make them do what I want. Uh, hand signals, things like that. Things that are all important to me as a, a canine handler, things that I think I may need as a canine handler uh, to be able to go into a building, for example, that's dark or whatever, uh, and just make a couple of noises and he does what I want him to do. That keeps me safe. The bad guy doesn't know what I'm trying to get my dog to do. The bad guy doesn't even know there is a dog half the time because I'm not calling him by name and, and things like that. So that puts us at the advantage, <coughs> um, and that helps us out tremendously. Uh, aside from that, I'm just trying to think here what else we want to talk about. We can add questions here while I'm talking as well. Does anybody have any questions just off the top here about anything at all about canine? Yes, right here. I'm sorry? What is he worth? Wow. Um, they're pretty expensive. Uh, based on... So the price is all based on how many different profiles they can fit, okay? Um, here in Lethbridge, we do require top-end dogs that can fit a number of profiles, uh, including being dual-purpose certified, which means that he can uh, search for drugs or be certified in, in drug detection. Uh, the higher amount of profiles the dog has, the more they cost. 
Uh, there are dogs that are just very, very good in one or two profiles, uh, and we'll get them and we'll start our in-house training. Uh, and we've had to send them back because they fail tracking or they fail a couple other things. Uh, and those dogs are still very good dogs, but they get repurposed to other agencies or other outlets um, that can use them. So for example, in my class, we had Arco, uh, and then we had another dog by the name of Arno. Uh, and Arno was smaller than Arco, who's a smaller dog to begin with. He was very small, very compact. He had excellent biting ability, so his apprehension ability. Um, and, uh, and he was very obedient, but he couldn't track worth a whatever. Like, he was just awful. So, and that's okay. He just can't do that. It's just not, not what he can do. So we have to send him back, and we got a new dog named Emos, who did excellent, and he's still working with us right now. Arno got turned around and repurposed to the U.S. Navy SEALs. And so he's a dog that, he's very compact. He can be attached to a harness. Uh, he can jump out of an airplane and he can bite people and so there's purposes to all these dogs we just got to find the best spot for him so a dog like Arnold that's where he goes uh, and I'm assuming he's doing a very very good job down there for the military oh do I need to talk closer I'm sorry um, so as far as Costco uh, a dog like Arco uh, you're looking at about ten thousand dollars US uh, just to purchase him uh, and then there's the cost of us having to send handlers down there for a week or so to test dogs and pick the right dogs. Uh, and then you have the cost of taking a police officer off the street once he's, once he's been selected uh, to train for four months before he even hits the street and start working. So there is importance to having these dogs for a long time. Uh, my first shift on the street after the four months in-house training was Boxing Day 2011, so I'm coming up on seven years complete here on the street. Uh, I am slated to stay in the unit for the rest of 2019, so I'll come out at next Christmas. Um, so you get about eight years, depending. You get dogs with hip problems, you get dogs with cancer, you get dogs with all sorts of problems that dogs have, uh, and sometimes they only last five years or four years. Uh, and then the service has to kind of fill that in uh, and find another dog. We have four dogs in the Lethbridge Police Service. Uh, there are four patrol teams that work 24 hours a day in the city, and we just assign one dog to each one of those patrol teams, and we follow that schedule almost the same. Uh, the patrol guys, they'll work two day shifts from 6 or 7 a.m. till 6 or 7 p.m., and then they work two night shifts from 6 or 7 p.m. till 6 or 7 a.m. We start our day shifts technically at 2 p.m. and we go till 2 a.m. So that means that every night from 6 or 7 p.m. until 2 a.m. there's two of us working. Um, and that's become useful uh, because we will have instances where we have a robbery or something like that on one side of the city and one dog is being used there. And while that file is being looked after, uh, we'll have uh, an assault or another robbery or something like that on the other side of town and we have to send another dog over there. So um, it is pretty useful and, and they are kept quite busy uh, here. I was trying to think of some numbers while I was on my way over here. <coughs> when I think when you're getting to the end of the career, you start looking back uh, to see what you've actually accomplished. Um, and so in seven years, uh, I think I figured out I've worked about 800 canine shifts and I've attended about 4,300 calls for service, and ARCO has 
come out of there, been deployed or used in just over 500 of those calls. So if you take that $10,000 and divide it by all that, it's not overly expensive maybe, I don't know. Um, so that's quite a bit. So I'm pretty impressed with, uh, with what we've been able to do uh, in our time here together. Uh, one of the other things I forgot to mention that we do uh, is that we are assigned uh, to the tactical team. We're not tactical team members, uh, but we do train with the tactical team. Uh, two of our dogs are deployed for every one of our TAC calls. Um, and so just through observation and being around that team for quite a while now, I've learned <coughs> quite a bit about that and we're able to help those guys out. Uh, and we usually do, uh, you know, building searches or we'll clear the house once we've had people exit the, sorry, exit the home or things like that. We'll go in there and we'll search for people who are hiding, things like that. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Yeah, so he's been living at my house since I got him. Uh, when you get these dogs, the city builds you a 10 by 12 dog run. No, ah, hey, follow him. Here. Come here. Come on. Here. Ah, there. Uh, you get a 10 by 12 concrete dog run. Hey, come here, stupid dog. Ah. We don't reward bad behavior. Uh, so he's got a dog run with a full roof on it. They have a really nice uh, insulated heated dog house. So even when it's minus 30, he's roasty toasty in there. Um, I'll usually, I'll bring him inside when it's minus 30 outside because he'll just spend days cuddled up in a little box basically. So I like to get him out just to get him some stimulation. Uh, the commitment to the canine unit is five years or the life of the dog. So generally speaking, um, we got Arco, he was two and a half years old when I got him. Uh, so he's gonna be a little bit on the older end uh, of age here when we get to the end next year. Uh, we've had him as young as 12 or 16 months. Um, and so five years of the life of the dog. So if you pass that five year threshold uh, and nothing, he hasn't been hit by a car or whatever, you know, he's still working. Uh, as soon as he's done, I'm done. We get one dog and then we're out of the unit. Unlike the RCMP, for instance, who once you're in the canine unit, you're in the unit for life. Now the difference being those members don't usually get into the canine unit until about year 10 or 11 in their career. So they really only work about two dogs and then they're retiring anyway at their 25 years. Uh, when he is done, so next year we'll have completed eight years, like I mentioned. Uh, and then once we retire, I will buy him from the city for a dollar just to assume the liability. Uh, and he will still have that dog run and stuff in my backyard, but the gate will be open all the time. And he can just have full reign of the backyard uh, and he'll come in the house if he figures out how to behave. <laughs> so like two, three minutes at a time, and then I'll send him back out. Um, and he gets to just be a dog. The city uh, continues to pay for their vet bills and their dog food. So it's like a little bit of a canine pension that he gets. Um, and he's doing pretty good, he's really healthy. Uh, he has no issues with you know, arthritis or anything like that, so I think he's gonna last, you know, give me a good three or four years or whatever after we retire and he can just be a dog, which I think is pretty cool too, because he's worked a lot. Um, it's a stressful job for them. They don't know what they're going into all the time. They don't have uh, the ability to listen to the radio and know the call that they're going to. They just are laying down in the back of a truck and the door opens and they're expected to listen and do what they're told. 
And uh, so he's done a very, very good job for me over these last years. Yes, sir. Well, yeah, the question was, how many different breeds do we use? And what was the second part, sir? And how early do we start training them? So uh, Arco is a Belgian Malinois. We have had German Shepherds in our unit. Um, the canine unit's been around in Lethbridge for 54 years, by the way. I don't think a lot of people know that. Um, there was a couple years, I think, where they didn't have a dog, but there's been 54 years where they have had uh, at least one dog. Um, we have used German Shepherds, and we have used Belgian Malinois. You're buying these dogs through private uh, market, uh, so it all comes down to what's more popular and what's being bred more and what's more available. Uh, when we go to our broker down near Boston there to pick our dogs, um, we could go down there and have six or seven dogs that that broker feels fits all the profiles uh, that we need. So we'll test all those dogs. If one of them's a German Shepherd and outdoes the, all the other ones, we'll take a German Shepherd. Uh, there's different approaches to training uh, in German Shepherds. We've done both of them um, with Mals and Shepherds. Uh, and so we have no problem doing that. Uh, but those two would be kind of the most popular breeds. Um, I know in the, in the 90s, they used to use different kinds, but it just doesn't work out with all the profiles that you need. Uh, as far as when you start training them, uh, over in Europe, they'll start training uh, just as little puppies. They get them training on bite pads and things like that, and they get them driven and that prey drive built up on biting like a, it's like a canvas pillow or things like that, or they'll use PVC pipe, things like that, and that builds up the drive in these dogs. Yeah, now you're going to go to sleep. <laughs> That's okay, then he won't bounce around. Um, and so, like I said before, we've gotten them as young as 12 months. Um, and as old as three years old, really. And once they come over, they have that foundational training that from the Schutzen training that they've received. Uh, and we just start working on building on that to fit the certification. So we don't want to get them too old because we do have to think about cost uh, and how many years you're going to get out of the dog. Um, here. But we do take them quite young. Yeah, here you go. Ah. So there. Um, you know what? I think right now I'm going to take two minutes uh, and I'm just going to go do a little bit of obedience with him right in the front because, well, because he wants to. That's why. We'll just say that. Uh, and I'll just show you a little bit of obedience. Um, he, being that he was from Holland, we did stick with the Dutch commands, but I apologize to anybody in here who truly speaks Dutch because it doesn't sound Dutch. <laughs> It's more of a butchered English, Dutch English. I just make noises, I think, and he listens. Yeah, there you go. Um, so I'll put this down. Can I put this down? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or do you want to follow me around, or you got the GoPro right here? Yeah, I'll follow you around. If
Growing up, I had an I had an interest in dogs. Uh, this was something that uh, I felt I wanted to do. I was at three years service when I got selected, so I was pretty young in my service. Um, in order to, hey, no, now you're gonna go for a walk. Good, like up, up. Good. Um, in order to actually figure out a little bit about what's going on with the canine unit when you're not part of it. Um, you have to volunteer your time with the unit. So we have training days uh, twice a month. We have 26 training days a year, basically. Um, and in those training days, hey, buddy, come on. In those training days, we need to, we need to hide people in buildings. We need to have people who lay tracks for us. We need to have people try to attack us as handlers. Um, and so those volunteers are called quarries. And they come out and they volunteer their time. So for two years before the tryout happened uh, for the canine unit, uh, I volunteered my time and I quarried about 250 hours of time. That gives you an opportunity to see the dog well, from one end. Um, and when you have multiple quarries, you get to watch the dog from the other end and be next to the handler while you know, he's biting another quarry or something like that. That volunteer time gives you the foundation that you need to be able to try out and join this unit. The amount of flexibility you need to have in your home life uh, and in your family life type thing and your schedule uh, is unbelievable because you are with this dog every single day and you know, you have to be able to work, you have to be able to get called out you have to be able to take care of them when you're on holidays. You have to be able to have somebody else take care of them while you're on holidays. Um, so often we get people who are interested in canine that come out and after about 30 hours, they're out. They really respect what, they, what we do, but they don't want any part of that because it might not work with their family life and things like that, which is good. We would rather that happen than somebody just tries out you know, when they have a good interview and, and they do well in the physical portion of it, um, and six months into the job, their their life at home is just not doing very well because this dog is, takes on so much need, right? So uh, it's really good for us to have those quarries come out, uh, and we tell them everything that they need to know right away. 
and we get people who, uh, like I said, who they don't want any part of it, but we get people who really, really enjoy it and, um, and really want to commit to it. And those are the type of people that we're kind of recruiting and grooming throughout that quarry process to try out uh, and hopefully get uh, a dog in the future just to carry on this, this tradition, this canine thing. And aggression, yes. Um, when he's out, not so much right now because this is not a very, you know, threatening scenario. No, threatening setting. Uh, we have a bit of an imaginary box built around us. Uh, and if anybody were to attack me or do anything to me that looked threatening, uh, he will just bite them and, and grab on anywhere. He'll take any target. Uh, we don't we don't teach them to bite anywhere specifically because if uh, we are in a situation where that target is covered up by something or unavailable, then the dog would essentially fail, right? So we teach them to bite. They go after kind of legs, arms, things like that. Uh, every dog is different because it is kind of a prey-driven type thing. Um, so for him, I know uh, he likes to bite you in the leg, but he wants to get you on the ground first. So he won't run and grab you by the arm and try to pull you down because he's short. So he'll run and jump and hit you in the back so that you fall, and then he'll bite you in the leg. And they just hold. Like when we, when we tell them to bite, it's not a punitive thing. It's not a whatever. They're, they're just taught. They're just taught. Well, you might see the cameraman get bit here. Um, <laughs> um, they are taught to bite off. To bite and hold with their molars and not use those front canine teeth that cause so much damage. Well, you're un unbelievable. Hey. I would just like to remind everybody, if you do have a question, please come up to the podium uh, just to maintain a respectful environment as well to get everything captured for the audio recording. Thanks. Ah. Um, so they bite and they hold. And the purpose is to, to stop the person from getting away and to cause a distraction. Obviously, that causes a distraction, and it's a psychological factor on whatever subject they are biting, which allows us as police officers to come in and safely take that person into custody. So we don't run up there right away and take the dog off right away, and then the guy keeps fighting you. We run up. We make sure he doesn't have any weapons in his hand. We make sure everything is safe. We can handcuff the person while the dog is still biting him. That's okay. He's not going to bite the other officers, and then everything's done safely, and then we remove the dog. Yes. Pat Anderson, does he interact with your children at home? He does, yeah. Um, that was one of the biggest challenges that I had uh, when I got him because I had a five and a three-year-old boy and we had, uh, we had two golden retrievers at home. Um, when, when he came out of the box, basically off the plane, he was just untrusting of everybody around him. He was very growly. And this was for the first couple of years. He was very growly, even with me. Uh, he was very alpha. He wanted to be in charge. And we, we got into more than a few fights over the couple of years to kind of assert who was the boss. Um, and so my biggest challenge was to make it work with my family. Just give me a second here.
So sorry, so the biggest challenge was to make it work with my family. So <clears throat> in order to do that, you just have to condition them uh, and teach them and reward them when they're doing it right. So we, um, my kids would have their bikes and my wife would have the two dogs uh, on their leashes and we would just go for long walks with me uh, having Arco on a leash just like, oh my God, you're embarrassing. Um, <laughs> hey. Ah. Uh, and as we got more and more comfortable, I would be okay healing right next to my kids on their bikes, or I would just let them, you know, the kids come and do flybys past you while you're riding, we're walking on the bike path or whatever, right? Uh, I would let them get closer and closer, and he would just know that you're not allowed to do anything. And over time, he figured out that he was part of our family, um, kind of like a pack, and he figures out where his place is in that pack, and he's totally comfortable with that. And that's all these dogs. They just, they want a boss, they want to know where they, where they sit, and they just want to be treated fair. And that's what we did. Uh, and he never had any problems with my kids. And we're at the point now uh, where my 11-year-old, uh, for a year or so now, he'll go out and feed him at night uh, and things like that and goes into the dog run and pets him and things like that and him and Arco are buddies, so that's pretty good. With other dogs, um, Arco here, he also had some aggression towards other dogs. Um, I remember we would be, uh, we could be tracking along trying to follow somebody and, you know, everybody's dog in their backyard comes up to the fence and starts barking at the fence. He would leave the track to go to the fence and start barking at the other dog and things like that, which is not good, right? So, so we had to train that out of them and condition that out of them. Uh, and so I had two golden retrievers who wouldn't hurt a fly, right? And I had to be very careful uh, him around them. He was very good with our female because uh, she was a little bit older, but we had a male who he was a little bit unsure about. So there was a couple times where I had to intervene and kind of give them both crap or whatever, and they figured it out and they're really good. Um, our male Goldie, he passed away two years ago, uh, but the female is, is still around. Sorry. Good. You suck. Any other questions? Sorry, go ahead. I have a question, and that's in regard to the <coughs> uh, current marijuana now being deleted being legal yeah. and some of the dogs being trained to search for marijuana. Yeah. So uh, how is the canine unit dealing with that with, um, I mean, I realize this dog will be retired and you'll have a new one that you can, right. someone will retrain so that they're not going after the marijuana, but how are you dealing with that now? So uh, it was actually pretty simple. So two years ago, uh, we changed over two of our dogs. So we got two new dogs. Uh, one, his name is Mike, and the other one is PSD Robbie. Um, we knew that this legislation was more than likely happening and coming through. So when we did the drug portion of their training, we just left marijuana out of it. And so it's pretty simple with these dogs. You, you teach them, you can teach them each odor in about a, three or four days. Um, we teach them the first odor, which used to be marijuana because it was like the strongest smell. Uh, we'd teach them the marijuana. We'd put it in like a PVC pipe because they love to play with PVC pipe like as a fetch game. Uh, and we'd like go to the city uh, buses and he would smell the PVC, 
throw it to the back of the bus. He would go find it. Now he's just trained himself how to find the odor of marijuana, and it's a game, and a toy comes from it. So we work on that for a little bit, and he learns the game. Uh, and then we go uh, to this other place in our station where we have this drug wall, this dope wall that we've made. And it's a big plywood wall, four by eight, and it has a whole bunch of holes in it uh, with PVC. Uh, and in the back of the PVC, one of them has uh, like a shooter that shoots a Kong. Like it just sends it flying. And these dogs go just nuts over that. So each one of these holes in the front, when the dog comes up to smell them, they all look the same. They each have a Kong ball in the end of the pipe, but only one of those pipes has the odor in the back of it. So, and that's the only one that has um, the, the Kong shooter in it. And then we have a remote control. So what they do is they come up and we teach them to sit on that odor. So they come up, we get them to smell each individual hole. He gets to the one that has that smell in it or it smells different from the other three. He sits, because that's what he thinks we want him to do. And as soon as his butt touches the ground, hit the remote, poof, Kong goes flying. And they're like, oh my God, right, do this again. So then they just can't wait. So then you do this over and over and over and you keep switching the hole um, where the Kong comes flying out and then you start just switching the odor. So we pull the marijuana out and we put cocaine and then we put heroin and then we put meth and then we put everything and they've just known all these odors uh, in a matter of a few days and they get to play this game. So as soon as you give them a command, search pot, boom, they know what they're looking for, they get that odor, and they play the game. You're welcome. Yes? Hi. Um, I'm just curious, if you don't have a piece of evidence at the scene of a crime, say a robbery, and you go out tracking, yeah. how do you know he's tracking the robber and not maybe someone who went walking on the same path that morning? How can he differentiate between the scent of the person you need to yeah. nab and Ex someone who was just... Excellent question. Um, when we track, uh, the most important thing we need is the point last seen of the person that we're following for that exact reason. Um, they can differentiate the odor of me walking this way on the sidewalk and somebody walking two feet away from that same track on the sidewalk. If we don't have the point last seen, I can't guarantee that he's following that odor that I've put him into to lock him into it. Um, so when we do have that point last scene, and oftentimes we'll show up to a scene, one of the patrol guys is usually there first, he's speaking with uh, a witness uh, or a victim, and they say, yeah, the person, he assaulted me or whatever, and he went running um, right past that uh, camera tripod, and then he hooked past those two bathrooms and continued west or something like that down the street. That gives me the ability to then take the dog directly to that spot. And we'll ask the person, like, was it exactly here? And they'll say, yes, okay. And then we put the dog into that odor, no. Put the dog into that odor, he locks into that odor, and he's trained to follow that odor and that odor only. And the way we test that uh, is through what's called cross tracks. So in training, we'll lay tracks just the same way. And then about five or 10 minutes later, say once the dog has started the track a couple blocks away, we'll get other people to walk perpendicular across that track in a totally different direction. And the dog will track along, and, and you read it in their body language and stuff, he'll be tracking along, tracking along, and he'll kind of get to that crossroads because this new odor is stronger than the one he's following. 
they're the ones that can make that make that decision we just have to test it to make sure they're making the right decision and you'll see it in training they come along they'll kind of stop and they kind of look both ways this new track and then they keep going and if they don't we have to correct it and keep them on the right track and then keep training it obviously because we don't want them when we're in the unknown and we don't know where that person went because it's not training he's the one who makes the call and so if he chooses to take that new track he might but we try to train it out of him and train it out of him and over reps and conditioning there's no reward at the end of that other track so he knows to follow the new one or the the current track that he's on you're welcome can i what the drug search yeah, we can do that. What time is it? Is it lunchtime? Am I good? Are we okay? All right. Well, I will, uh, I'll give this mic back. Um, I put some drugs out somewhere. Well, I did two things. I put, I brought some drugs and uh, we used, not that kind of party, not that kind of lunch. We... <laughs> Uh, we use, we'll use the real odor, so I brought some methamphetamine, uh, which is in a jar, in that bag, uh, so it's inaccessible to the dog, so it's safe to the dog. Uh, and then I have, what we'll do is in those jars with that drug, we'll put cotton swabs, like fat, flat cotton swabs, and those absorb the same odor, and then I'm able to place those around, so I have another one underneath that bench by the piano and that one is kind of sticking out a little bit so if he puts his nose on it it's not gonna he's not gonna inhale any meth or anything but it has the same odor so we'll play that game and he'll get rewarded and then I guess you guys can all eat lunch hey all right cool here you go I'll give you that to go do a search, uh, which often we do say on like a drug search warrants and things like that at houses, uh, and we can't find it or whatever, uh, I'll go and set up a hide somewhere else, and he'll continue the search and end on a positive. So he knows there's gonna be a reward, I just gotta keep working, keep working, keep working, and eventually he gets to that cash. Oh, so, so we do have time for one more question, and if we could just continue the, uh, the protocol here. Okay, if you can come up, that would be great. Just to the microphone here. When you're out with your family, do you ever you put a nuzzle on 
a never nuzzle. A muzzle? Muzzle. Like a muzzle yes. over his mouth? Yes. Um, no, I haven't had to. I haven't had to. I've put a muzzle on him in the back of the police car. Uh, he just has this thing, like when we're training, uh, it usually happens when we're either at the um, shooting range and there's gunfire, or if one of the other dogs is out and he can hear commands being given to that dog, he wants to dig his way out of the car. So he will start ripping up the rubber matting, he'll start ripping on the bars. Um, we've dealt with it as best we could. It was a bit of a problem because he wore all his teeth down to like nothing. Like this dog has titanium teeth and the dental bill is unbelievable. But um, did you know that there's actually a dental vet? If you have kids, tell them to be that because they make a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> More than a regular dentist, they do pretty well. <laughs> and they don't even have to talk to the patient because he's out. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we, Arco and one of the other dogs has a kind of a similar problem and they broke off, he like chipped off all the enamel on his canines uh, to the point where we had to go get those, those front teeth removed and they put in these titanium um, crowns, which are pretty expensive, and then about six weeks later, he found a frozen croquet ball in the snow in my backyard. While I was at work covering a shift for somebody else, and my wife let him out to, to go to the bathroom, and he found this croquet ball, and she couldn't get it back from him. And that was going to be about an hour till I got home. And when I got home, I got the ball from him, but he had just ripped out all the, all the crowns and stuff like that. So back to the dental vet we go, and they just kind of rounded them all off, and... It's, he has a pretty ugly mouth, actually, but he still does his job. He's effective because we teach them to bite with those molars in the back, right? So they're not trying to pull at meat. They're just grabbing as deep as they can, um, and they have a lot of compression in their jaws. They have a very, very strong jaw, these Malinois, so he's able to hold on to the people and, and keep working. Cash. <laughs> Good. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much to Constable Damone and uh, Arco as well for all of their work in the community. Uh, service dogs uh, serve a, a valuable role in our community, not just as police service dogs, but also uh, helping people in so many different ways. So I, I encourage you to, to go forward and, and do a little bit of research on, on the amazing abilities that our canine friends have. Uh, this is going to be a great topic to talk about over lunch, uh, and hopefully you can join us uh, and stick around. We've got a fantastic lunch put together by Great Plate Catering. Uh, big thank you to the Lethbridge Herald, to Shaw TV, Lethbridge News Now, and uh, CJOC for being here. Um, we appreciate all of the coverage, and of course, thank you to you for being here. Uh, such great, uh, loyal uh, listeners and uh, great questions from the crowd. We look forward to seeing everybody again in the new year. We've got a fantastic session planned for Thursday, January 10th, we have Joe Gunn, the Executive Director for Citizens for Public Justice, coming in for that, and there'll be two sessions. That information is on your table. Have a fantastic afternoon, and we'll see you again in the new year.